I don't know about you, but for me, the last few weeks have been very busy. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten about you. In fact, some of what's been going on is relevant to our discussion today. So welcome, welcome to episode 23 of Unmasking the Abuser, the podcast. I'm Dr. Dina McMillan. As you probably know, I'm a social psychologist, a relationship consultant, and an expert on domestic abuse and violence. In the last two episodes, we discussed resilience as an active life skill. I mentioned I'm developing an online course for UTS, the University of Technology in Sydney. I'm using the skills I gained from social psychology to craft something interesting, innovative, and interactive. Unlike many other courses on the same topic, I don't believe it's enough to be intellectually stimulating. I want to make sure anyone who takes this course absorbs it into the parts of their brain that awaken and dominate during challenging or disruptive real-life situations. I promise to let you know when the class is available. It's going to include a free 90-minute taster that I hope you'll take and enjoy. While we're mentioning resilience, I'd also draw your attention to the wealth of valuable info in the previous two episodes and advise you to listen to them more than once as you go about your day. Taking your morning walk, driving to work, or doing your daily workout. Whenever you come across information you want to not only know, but also use, it has to saturate your mind. Listening, reading, or watching it only once won't do that. That brings us to our topic today. We're going to talk about ways to protect your new superpower. We'll look at things you can do and things you shouldn't do, so the knowledge we've been covering in this podcast series become active drivers when you're making your life choices. After all, the best insights in the world won't help you if they aren't put to use when they're needed. We'll look at how you can increase the likelihood you'll turn to your new superpower whenever a relevant situation arises and talk about how you can make sure your belief in yourself and your ability to make new choices, better choices, is protected. Ready to start? Let's go. You're listening to the Unmasking the Abuser podcast with Dr. Dina McMillan. Today, we're going to look at how to prop up and shield your new superpower. I want you to protect your new and improved critical thinking your correct assessments of the people around you that we've been building together. This sharper way of assessing what's going on around you will expose potential abusive behaviors and spotlight potential abusers themselves accurately and early. In episode 10 of season one, 
We also went through some tips to help you remember these tactics. Later episodes showed you how to apply these key insights to non-romantic relationships with family members, with friends, and even with work colleagues. We've also discussed how to spot tactics of manipulation and coercion when they're used by larger elements in your environment, by popular social movements or political parties, or even advertisers and marketers, all who try to bend you to their will and get you to buy into whatever it is they're selling, even if it means ignoring your own best interests. I've admitted to you before that even when I agree with a cause, I don't trust any person or any group who feel the need to use coercive control to garner my attention and force my acceptance. It may start out okay, but it always leads somewhere grim and scary. It doesn't even take long. As with romantic relationships, if you want my support, you'll have to convince me through transparency regarding your methods and both sincerity and strong evidence of who you are and what you're asking me for. I want to know how this will impact me and mine, not just the individuals who are asking for me to back them. If something's going to affect me, tell me the truth and give me a realistic breakdown of what to expect. Also, show a willingness to accept it If I say no, when anyone tries to force my hand, I become suspicious. If someone punishes me for hesitating or even for just asking questions, that lets me know something is seriously wrong. I'd advise you to think about having the same attitude. Anytime your superpowers sound a klaxon warning, indicating manipulation is being used and unfair persuasion methods are being tried, pay attention. Allow yourself to feel that tingle in those parts of your heart, mind, and gut that you've spent so much time honing. Let your cape fly out and your protective bracelets hum. Remind yourself you're someone who's willing to look closely and believe what you see and hear. As for today, let's cover putting your superpower into practice consistently and well. Any skill you develop has to be practiced and maintained, or it starts to fade. You have to avoid people and situations that try to get you to ignore your hard-won abilities. You should continue to sharpen your technique until your skillful use of your superpower becomes automatic. You're so clued in now. You have key insights at the forefront of your mind, ready to use whenever you interact with people. You know you can easily go back to season one of this Unmasking the Abuser podcast series and refresh your knowledge whenever you need it. You can do this whenever you begin to forget it, or if you have questions about a specific person or situation. 
And be sure to draw a circle around episode 10, where I use mnemonic cues to help you remember each tactic. In some ways, you're ready to go. My reason, though, for this discussion today has two things. First, I recently did an interview on a very popular YouTube show from the UK called Trigonometry. It's an unrehearsed, unscripted show where the hosts, Constantin Kisson and Francis Foster, interview people they find interesting in some way for an hour. It's a little intimidating because you have no idea what they're going to ask you before you start. We seem to be going well, but near the end of the episode, Constantin spoke to me about his music preferences. We were talking about methods of influence, and I admitted to him that I'm going to do an online class to show everyone the most effective tactics. I want you all to be completely manipulation-proof. Constantin admitted he loves gangster rap and asked me about it. I expressed serious concern because that genre is all about the glorification of violence and brutal misogyny. I told him if he continues to listen, he'll begin to normalize the values in the songs. It was pretty obvious he didn't want that to be true. To be honest, I don't either. I'd love to be able to watch any program or film with interesting characters or sing along and dance to any song with catchy lyrics and strong beats. I felt like a wet blanket when I admitted to him that I can't let myself do that. I have to protect my brain. My regular listeners know from my discussions about the brain that only between 5 to 8% of the choices we make are driven by the logical, rational part of our minds. The vast majority of our choices are controlled by the parts of our brain that process emotions and memories and the part that controls our autonomic nervous system, negotiates our environment, and drives our primal reactions like fear, anger, hunger, and lust. In many situations, that rational language-based part of our brain may as well not even exist. It seems to drop into passive mode, only reviving afterwards. It wakes up just in time to offer 2020 retrospective critiques and rationalizations to explain our choices. We then rely on our logical mind to explain why, in spite of our savvy and intelligence, we seem to have lost our ever-loving minds. We scrambled to offer believable reasons why we chose that terrible romantic partner who's just as bad as the one we left behind. We'll expound ad nauseum on our list of motives for backing that dodgy political party or that evidence-light social cause. Our language skills will be exhausted by overuse as we rush to defend why we let a knee-jerk reaction drop us into a steaming pile of poo. In truth, many times we don't understand it ourselves. We just felt the need to justify our choices. 
Whenever we do something again, we were convinced we'd outgrown or make a decision without any logic behind it. We usually grab for explanations that sound okay to ourselves or to other people. We probably don't know those choices were made based on information embedded in our limbic brain, in our emotional mind, or due to fears or desires triggered in our primal reptilian brain. Most of us expect our rational brain, our neocortex, to protect us from harm. We think if we're academically bright and read articles from esteemed sources and try to get the facts, we'll then make choices based on that useful information. And we will, sometimes. Our rational mind will be in charge when it's a calm choice, like choosing a product in a store. We'll weigh up what we need and what we've read about it, and the benefits of that product, and think we're good to go. We're completely ignoring the fact that if we don't protect our minds emotionally and through our primal drives, most of our life choices will use other factors to make our decisions. Factors we don't get a choice in selecting. Factors that may conflict dramatically with our values. And importantly, factors that lead us to believe the propaganda regarding what will make us happy, when in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. We won't realize how our views and behaviors were led by other people with an agenda. We'll support a political party or social cause because we saw a Netflix drama that featured a group that said they were picked on and that showed them as harmless, and the story was dramatized in a way that made us cry. We'll note that certain groups or individuals keep winning highly publicized awards and seem to be everywhere on social media, television, films, and news sources. We'll look at news programs or read articles that make us afraid, or watch sexy films that make us feel desire for a certain type of person or a certain type of relationship. What I explained in the trigonometry episode and have mentioned here before is that the parts of our mind that make most of our decisions have no filter and will first soften our judgment, then accept, and eventually even promote people, values, lifestyles, that totally conflict with what we believe to be the way we should live our lives. Our brain will nudge us subtly but firmly to adapt to whatever we're exposed to in our culture and environment. The parts of our mind that do this, the limbic and reptilian parts of our brain, have a goal to help us fit in. They're able to quickly decipher the underlying social messages that flood us from the time we open our eyes in the morning. They work together to encourage us to get in step with the people around us, whatever is being promoted. While our neocortex is distracted by problem solving and making a list of what we need to do that day. In the modern era, 
Our devices contain a critical part of our new community. It's why social trends and protest movements and stampedes to buy toilet paper move quickly from one area, even one nation, to the next like wildfire. It's naive to underestimate the enormous influential power of the media, including social media. Because of the way our brain works, if we expose our minds to gangster rap or hypersexual hip-hop or shows filled with pornified imagery and objectified women or people who use drugs or have no sexual or moral boundaries but never seem to suffer much harm, our brain will take it all in. These core segments of our brain don't fully understand Film, television, online videos, music streaming. They perceive and process all of this information like it's happening in real life in your home or community. These parts of our brain process these things the way they always have, interpreting whatever we pay attention to as true reflections of the values of our group the rules of our tribe. After they first notice, then accept these things, they work to adapt our thinking and behaviors to fit in with what they now perceive as our group. Please note, I'm not saying there's an immediate cause and effect. Watching the Cardi B performance on the Grammy Awards show won't immediately turn you into a pole dancer. But the underlying values of what you watch and listen to will be absorbed by your brain. It's the reason all cultures from the beginning of time have combined the powerful influence mechanism of storytelling with music. The combination embeds these core values into the minds of their people. If they also add movement or dance It resonates on an even deeper level. I could tell Constantine was disappointed by my comments. I know it makes me sound like a scolding aunt or a bossy teacher who's just no fun. I don't mean to be boring or to act like I see everything enjoyable as forbidden. But as I mentioned when we discussed domestic abuse, having a life of poor choices And disastrous relationships also isn't fun. Nor is being led to support causes that remove your civil rights or that demand you overlook their harmful behaviors or persuade you to put your money and votes into further weakening your community or your culture. There's just no such thing as a free lunch. When it comes to the brain, everything counts. For the first time in history, most of the storytelling and influence mechanisms like music and film and television aren't being used to embed positive values that help us make better choices and live more productive lives. They're encouraging us to make choices that lead to toxic short-term relationships, selfishness, lack of confidence, and behaviors that lead away from real connections with each other. Many of us aren't being taught critical thinking, and those of us who are, are being discouraged from using it.
we're being told to stand by or actively participate as anyone who dares to question what we're being taught is punished. We're all being led over a cliff. Having been trained and educated through hard years of much study to assess the wider implications of beliefs and behaviors, of cause and result, and to predict flow-on effects, I admit I'm scared. It's like we're moving quickly into a new dark age. One with technology. Everywhere I look, people are being offered the highest rewards, attention, praise, awards for behaviors that in real life will lead to serious problems. Pathological narcissism is being encouraged and fed by clicks and follows on social media and by sponsorships and other financial rewards. If you've ever had a relationship with a narcissist, you know how troublesome it is for our culture to actively work to produce more of them. As for society in general, attention itself is probably the most powerful influence mechanism. It's a primal reward. It's why in the 1930s, you had people like Al Capone becoming a famous anti-hero. People knew he was a murderous gangster, but he kept getting attention in the papers and on newsreels at the movies. The parts of people's brains that process this type of information just registered that Al Capone garnered a lot of attention. Therefore, he must be someone to admire or even emulate. Now, I had no role in designing our brains or deciding how they function. It's not my fault that we have to be cautious about what we put into our brain, especially if it's presented in a manner that's emotionally evocative or if it makes us hungry or is sexually arousing. If you just watch and listen to what's being widely promoted, soon you'll be another one of those people whose stated values are nothing like the values demonstrated by their life choices. It's too easy to call them hypocrites. Far more often, they're just people who continue to expose themselves to social messages with certain values that lead to outcomes that are nothing like what's being promised in the narrative. By the way, when I describe this phenomenon in my seminars and workshops, I show everyone a picture of Cocoa Pops with marshmallows. If you look at the top front of the box, the cereal brags that it has B vitamins, vitamin D, and iron. And it's true. Those vitamins are actually in the cereal. But imagine if you used Cocoa Pops with marshmallows for your vitamin intake. When you went for your yearly medical checkup, you'd be busting out of your clothes and your doctor would ask if you'd lost your mind. She or he would remind you that those vitamins aren't the only things in those cereal boxes. You'd be told very harshly that 98% of what you're eating is a bowl full of chemicals and sugar. Your body is processing all of it 
not just the tiny proportion that's healthy, not just the bit that you approve of. Your brain does the same thing. So pay attention to the words and behaviors of the characters in the books you read, the television shows you watch, the films you go to see. And music, well, music is magic. So really pay attention to the music you listen to and the lyrics you're dancing to. Look at what's being normalized and promoted. If any aspect of it contradicts your personal values, tell yourself, Cocoa Pops with Marshmallows, and turn it off. Swipe to another site. Return the book to Amazon for a full refund. Your brain and your beliefs are precious. Treat them that way. Speaking of the brain and watching what you give it, let's get to the second part of this podcast. I want to talk briefly about shielding yourself and maximizing your new superpower. If you've listened to these episodes and perhaps read my book, But He Says He Loves Me, you've already put genuine effort into gaining new knowledge to help you make better choices. Good for you. However, and I say this with all love and respect, you may be inadvertently doing things that will keep your new key abilities from helping you in your personal relationships. I'd recommend two sources that can help. Mindset, the new psychology of success by Professor Carol Dweck from Stanford University and anything written or performed by Jim Quick, the brain coach and mind engineer. Both have invaluable knowledge that can help you use more of your mind and access your best thinking in relevant situations. Professor Dweck is known for discussing two types of mindsets, fixed and growth. She has a considerable body of research and work on how your mindset determines how you view yourself and your potential. It can literally change how you think and, of course, what you achieve. Jim Quick is all about maximizing your potential. Also recommended here is his book, Limitless, and his online courses. Simply put, a fixed mindset is a way of thinking where you become convinced your skills, abilities, and limitations are all set and all set early, that they're known, that they're unchangeable. What you believe you can do in the future is based only on what you've achieved in the past. You don't believe your mind or abilities can substantially improve. This is just how I am, you tell yourself. A growth mindset, on the other hand, a limitless mindset, understands that you can learn and grow and improve to levels you never thought possible as long as you're willing to seek out effective methods to help you upskill and you put consistent effort into making it happen. You'll seek out sources to help you, like this podcast series and the work done by people like Jim Quick and Professor Dweck. Even more than listening and reading these words and programs, you'll practice the tools being offered in your life. 
When you do this, when you practice these skills and situations arise that are emotional or that awaken your primal drives, you'll already have useful knowledge embedded in the parts of the brain that are being triggered in these situations. You'll significantly increase your likelihood of using your new insights to make your choices. It's really that simple. Both Professor Dweck and Jim Quick have a range of exercises that help you visualize, get emotional, and practice new ways of thinking so you can use it when you need it. All that being said, I wanted to use this podcast to mention some of the things I see keeping people from using key insights they've worked very hard to gain in their life choices. First, I see too many people who believe just the knowledge alone is enough, that intellect is a shield, that knowing about tactics like manipulation and coercion or propaganda is sufficient to keep them from falling for it if it's being used on them. I repeat this often because I think it bears repeating. Knowledge of a phenomenon does not make you immune to its effects. It's the first thing they taught us in graduate school. Influence and manipulation's effectiveness is determined primarily by the target's level of saturation and not by academic intellect. Again, protect yourself by being very fussy about what you watch, listen to, and read. You can easily decipher the values being promoted if you focus on them. It's like your limbic brain has an automatic decoder. Think about the characters and the actions in the stories and songs and what they're encouraging you to accept. And it becomes evident. If you don't agree with the values in the message, don't bother arguing with the television. Don't tell yourself now that you've noticed it won't affect you. Turn it off. Second, keep reminding yourself if you want different outcomes in the future, you have to perform different actions in the present. This is the second biggest error I've observed in my years teaching people how to improve their relationships. Many people put enormous commendable effort into learning where they've made mistakes in the past. They work hard to build up a superpower for detecting issues early. Then, the moment they're thrown into a similar situation, they immediately revert to the same behaviors that led them to problems all along. The whole goal of learning all of this is so you can make better choices, to have more than just crossed fingers to protect you. You do remember that, don't you? What are some of the most common mistakes? Let's discuss. Number one is getting involved too quickly with a new partner. This is where luck is the one thing that will save you. But luck is so fickle, I wouldn't suggest you depend on it. When you're trying to decide whether you want to be with someone or not, and you're trying to evaluate whether the persona they're presenting is the real deal or a fake, you need to keep a degree of emotional distance. That means not jumping in emotionally or sexually until you're sure. Why did I mention sex? Because no one can consciously control their oxytocin. 
That's the bonding chemical that's released into our system, especially if the sexual relationship is satisfying. If the sex is good and or the attraction is strong, it's tempting to rationalize away any elements that we don't want to be there. We'll find ourselves compromising our standards or even convincing ourselves they're childish or not relevant anymore. The solution is to take your time and get to know the person before you jump into bed, before you start planning weekends away. It also means not collapsing your life into seeing the new person too often. Keep up your routines, your social engagements with your friends, your mindfulness exercises, your spin class. Fortunately, this one has some potential give. If you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, because you did this already, it's not the end of the world. Just put a little distance between you and your new love interest. Don't be so readily available. Force yourself to ask more questions and really listen for the answers. Check with your support team to see if they think there's anything that may be an issue and don't just dismiss it. If the new love is real and it has potential, shining a light won't hurt anything. It will just reassure you that you found the right one this time. And I do wish you luck. The next potential problem is going for the same type of partner who's always caused you trouble in the past. They say the definition of insanity is performing the same action and expecting a different result. This is another place where the fixed mindset can cause you trouble. Thinking and saying you like bad boys or troublemakers or challenging partners gives your mind permission to accept these people in your life. Don't do that to yourself. And while we're discussing it, do you know who your mind listens to most? You. So anytime you say, I am, I do, or I can't, you're programming yourself to make your stated values, beliefs, and abilities true for you. Choose wisely. Remind yourself that what you say to yourself and about yourself has enormous power. Don't give yourself permission to have bad taste or declare yourself sad and lonely or past it or anything else that's negative. A simple way to remember this one is to not claim anything you don't want to keep. Replace all of those with positive aspirations that you put real effort into achieving. Let your mind and emotions and energy go towards how happy you're going to be with an emotionally healthy partner. How the abuser from your past will seem like a bad dream. Correct yourself if you accidentally slip up or go into limited thinking. And correct anyone else who does it for you, like a family member or a friend who says you have bad taste. Very quickly, I want to mention deal breakers. It's useful to figure out some absolute necessities for a partner and establish some areas that you won't accept, some deal breakers. Make sure you really think about both categories, what you want, 
what you won't accept before you get involved with anyone. Write them down somewhere. Look them over, especially after you meet up with someone who's a potential partner. Once you make these rules, act on them. If you don't, every area of compromise is going to cause you grief in the future. In addition, you'll also be so busy settling for less, you'll miss out on the better match who could have been in your life instead. The third issue I commonly see is incongruence, which is just another way of saying your beliefs and your words don't match up. Here's a very realistic example. You're feeling proud about your new superpower that lets you weed out potential abusers, and you can even quote the tactics and the warning signs without a lot of effort. Yet, you're also waiting with bated breath for the next installment of Fifty Shades of Grey. That level of inconsistency is going to set you up for failure. Your brain is more likely to drive you to choose according to where your emotions and sexual desires go. So a real-life sadistic psychopath like Christian Grey could get in under your radar. And of course, the outcome is far more likely to see you on the evening news than in a prominent seat at the next royal wedding. Be careful of your words the stories and songs that you let into your mind and that become the soundtrack to your life. Make sure you control the story, not someone else. Now, I hope you found today's information helpful. If you have any questions or comments, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email me at unmaskingpodcast at gmail.com. That's unmaskingpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. I'm Dr. Dina McMillan. Mm -hmm.